0: I turned 16, I got a driver's license, and I had grown up in kind of this Baptist, pretty traditional setting, Um, and I drove down the street and went to the closest, super charismatic, wild and crazy glitter in the HVAC church that I could find. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hey guys, this is Mark, and you may have heard a few weeks ago, Stephen did a little intro to Stephen and foreshadowed that someday... Mark would do an intro to Mark and that day has now come so we give you guys a lot of our opinions on the podcast and advice and really when we started this like Stephen said a lot of you guys knew us personally and that's why you listen to this podcast but praise the lord Abraham's wallet has grown and a lot of you don't know us personally anymore So we thought it would be useful to just cover our basic story. Why do we do this? Where are we coming from? What's our background? And I wanted to do that for you uh, today. So I was born in Dallas, Texas in 1982, and I grew up in a pretty comfortable middle-class household. You know, I played t-ball and I did Boy Scouts, and um It was really good, I would say, for the most part. One uh, thing that was kind of unique, maybe not for Dallas, but I went to one of the bigger mega church scenes in the U.S. at the time, uh, Prestonwood Baptist Church, and I definitely remember when I was seven years old on Easter Sunday, walking down the aisle, as you did at a big Baptist church and getting, uh, making a public declaration that I had given my life to Jesus. So, you know, as an adult, I look back on that and I say, well, there's no way that I really knew what was up, but I genuinely do think that the Lord saved me that day. Um, he just had a whole lot more planned later on. Um, but I got baptized and was saved and, and am very thankful for that, um, Experience. Uh, You know, growing up, I I went to a public school for the first part of my schooling. I actually went to a school in a very rough part of Dallas for a little while. Um, But there came an age when my parents switched me over to a private Christian school. Uh, At this point, you know, going into seventh grade, mom and pops were evidently doing pretty well and decided to take me out of the government school system. Praise God. Uh, Unfortunately, I think part of the motivation there was because I was really bad at making friends. This could have had to do with the fact that I enjoyed wearing just hyper-aggressive Christian slogan t-shirts. I don't know if any of you grew up in Baptist land, but this was a thing. You could buy them at the church bookstore. So that was me, and it didn't always win me friends in the public school scene, but I moved schools in seventh grade. I actually really benefited from the classical education and being in a place that at least had the intention of discipling folks through through that age. And during high school is when I really had my first encounter with a discipler, and that person, You guys know well as Stephen Manuel. Um, I remember going to summer camp with Prestonwood Baptist Church, uh, and I think I was 15 years old, and there was, I don't know, 12 or 13 of us, uh, ninth graders or whatever we were, and we went to the beach in Florida for a week, and Stephen had taken this gig as a counselor for a week at this camp. And I remember every single guy in this cabin, save for two of us, really hated the fact that we had gotten this, this blowhard who said, we're not here to chase girls. We're just here to, to go deep with the Lord this week. And so it was kind of a polarizing week, but at the end of that week, Stephen Manuel said, Hey, Mark, um, I would like to take you to dinner. It's Smothered Steak Night at the Black Eyed Pea, and I got a two-for-one coupon, so can we go to dinner? And in hindsight, I don't know why, but my parents were fine with this strange 24-year-old picking me up and uh, taking me out to dinner. And so we did, and he kind of explained to me what discipleship looked like. And uh, I've probably talked about it a bunch here on the podcast, but it was super formative to me to have kind of a spiritual father figure that was pushing me to know God at a deeper level. Um, And this was kind of the same time that I was going through some other eye-opening experiences spiritually. Um, You know, going back to, to Prestonwood, they were in the middle of a building campaign, I remember. And this started when I was, I think, 13 years old. So it had started a couple of years before this. But I distinctly remember the Sunday where they asked everyone to fill out commitment cards because we're going to build a new building. And I filled out my commitment card and I pledged $300 to this building campaign. And $300 was a lot of money for a 15-year-old or a 13-year-old at the time. But I did some summer jobs, and I worked, and I saved $300 of cash, put it in an envelope, and dropped it in the bucket. And I felt great about that. Um, I definitely remember opening day at the new property where I walked in the doors, and I thought, okay, God, here's the thing that, that you were so excited about. And I walked into the new youth center, and I saw uh, just a line of... It, uh, In hindsight, it was probably 20. It felt like a thousand flat screen televisions with PlayStations mounted underneath them. And this was the new youth center. And I thought, I saved $300 to buy all this, these PlayStations. And it was kind of eye-opening to me. And it probably is very connected to uh, my formative experiences around church and money. and, you know, I, I might sound salty. I'm actually not salty about this. Uh, I think it was the Lord showing me kind of where maybe my my niche in the world was going to be. It might not be so much involved in the megachurch scene. Um, but I did really feel like a bit hoodwinked by that, that uh, there was this experience where I had saved and then I had given and when I got to the thing that I had given to support, I thought this isn't what I, what I had planned on. So that was, that was an interesting experience also during high school. um, You know, and, and as a result of that, I started exploring church worlds outside of where my family had brought me. I turned 16, I got a driver's license and I had grown up in kind of this Baptist, pretty traditional setting. um, And I drove down the street and went to the closest, super charismatic, wild and crazy glitter in the HVAC church that I could find. And that was interesting. Uh, You know, I actually was also discipled in that environment, although I was also shown some things that you should avoid at all costs in that environment Um, and was experiencing new things and, and getting to know the Holy Spirit for the first time. Um, during all that, I was having great experiences in high school and academics and sports. You know, I've probably talked about it on the podcast. I was a wrestler in high school and I hated every minute of high school wrestling, but it definitely taught me how to suffer and do things I wasn't good at. I think my freshman year, I won zero matches, and I competed in probably 30 matches, and that's pretty humbling for a high school freshman, but uh, by senior year, I was still not good at wrestling, but I had figured out how to win matches, so I was... Uh, successful just not very skillful Um, and that was kind of high school was was sports academics um, and i was successful at academics so senior or i guess junior year of high school i took the sat test and I did really well on the SAT test. Um, Unexpectedly well, in fact, I had already visited a bunch of state schools in Texas, which were fantastic schools, and I had decided that I was gonna go to college at the University of Texas. I had paid my deposit to live in the dorms at UT. Um, But unexpectedly, I got accepted into Princeton University. I, I do remember when I visited We did this little, I think my parents, they saw that I had gotten a great score on the SAT, and they were just as surprised as I was, and so we took a little tour of East Coast kind of ritzy-ditzy Ivy League schools and places like that, and I remember going and visiting an alumni from my school who was actually at Princeton, and he was he was really smart. I think he was the valedictorian of the class, actually, uh, for his class at Princeton. Um, And he told me, you know, this is a great school. You're not going to get in. There's no chance. Uh, No one gets in. It's just a crapshoot. And in fact, I still tell kids the same thing when they're interviewing because I have done some interviews for kids there. And it's just extremely selective. Now, Princeton has gone off the rails in a major way in the last few years, so I'm not sure I would recommend it to anybody today. But at the time, it was really a good experience. Um, and I was thankful to get in there. So I kind of said, well, Lord, this wasn't my plan, but you've opened the door, and I, I feel like I would be a little silly not to, to take, take the opportunity. So I went to Princeton. I realized that there were sports, unlike wrestling, that I actually loved, and so while I was in college, I spent about 10 or 12 hours a week on school, and about 40 hours a week on my bicycle, and got extremely passionate about bicycle racing. Um, I also got very plugged in with a reformed Christian fellowship at Princeton, and that was strange, given that I had been sort of stepping into this Holy Spirit house church environment stuff in Texas. It was, it was not what I expected to go hang out with the Presbyterians uh, in New Jersey, but. I didn't really feel like I fit in there socially or theologically, but it was very clear when I arrived at campus that these kids were the most fiercely anchored to the word of any believers I could find. And so I ended up just saying, we may not agree on everything, but these people take the Lord and the scriptures very seriously. And that's enough. And I ended up with lifelong friends that came out of that group and, um, So at college, I studied politics and economics. I mainly chose to do that because I knew I wanted to travel during school and study abroad. And those programs let me do it. So I'll never forget a a professor in college that grabbed me and said, Mark, you are really, because I took a lot of Spanish classes. He said, you are really, really bad at speaking Spanish. And of course, he's speaking Spanish to me in this conversation and I'm like getting 80% of it because he was right Um, but he said you have to either drop my class and quit trying to take Spanish or you need to study abroad somewhere that's Spanish speaking so you can actually learn how to speak so I did that and you know, I'll kind of get there in a minute, but that was probably one of the first steps where there was a decision point that I had no idea that the Lord was going to use career-wise for me. Um, but if I hadn't made that decision to actually double down and get really good at Spanish, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had later. So, went to Argentina, stayed there almost a year. I met a girl as soon as I came back to campus the my junior year of college broke up with a girl I had been dating long distance and promptly got engaged to my now wife of 16 years, Amelia. Um, she was going to stick around. She was a year ahead of me in school and she was going to stick around and do ministry on campus, uh, which was great because otherwise we would have had about two months to get to know each other before she disappeared. So, It was great to have her around. She was applying to medical schools, and I had no idea what that would mean for my life or her life or anything to marry a woman who was going to become a physician. I just thought, well, that sounds great. She's really smart, Um, and she, of course, was successful in those applications, so we found out that she was going to to Washington DC. And that was a tricky experience to be like, I know I'm gonna ask this girl to marry me. I'm not quite, quite ready. And she's making decisions about where to go to med school. Uh, So it was kind of the Lord's timing to to push me along to kind of accelerate that timeline. But we did get engaged my senior year of college while she was, um, well, actually we got engaged right after my senior year of college. Um, And she had already made a decision. She was going to D.C. So when I was looking for jobs and trying to figure out what I was going to do after college, I was thinking, I better end up in D.C. And I got a job lined up with a management consulting firm. And this is really where the Lord's hand became really clear in my career path. Um, I never planned most of the steps the, that I went down when it comes to jobs but looking back it's like wow if I had tried to plan a course to get where I am now I never would have been able to um, so I had this management consulting job and it was going to be in DC but I was going to I don't know if you guys have have any experience with the management consulting world I was going to be traveling. Like leaving Monday morning and coming back Friday night, Uh, and who knows where I would end up during the week. And that wasn't the best way, I felt like, to nurture a new marriage, Uh, but that's the only job I had access to at that time. I had gotten a lot of no's, and I would just refer you back to the cycling 40 hours a week and studying 10 hours a week if you wonder why. But I did get this job, and then last minute I got a phone call maybe a week before I was going to move to D.C. from New Jersey, and it was a friend from college who was a couple years older than me, and she said, hey, I've been working at the International Monetary Fund, and I'm about to leave my job, and I think you would be perfect for it. You have to speak Spanish, and you have to know economics, and they'll teach you most of the rest of the things you need to know. So that was great. It paid more than the other job, and... I don't know if you guys have much experience with the IMF or the World Bank, but they're kind of these weird diplomatic havens. So people who work there from other countries are actually diplomats to the US. They're diplomats to the IMF or the World Bank. And they like to be very casual about their their work environment. There was it was very important that they had white tablecloths on the on the tables at lunch and it was just a really interesting time to get to Uh, hang out with a bunch of bigwigs from other countries. Um, And so working at the IMF was a really cool experience. I got to lecture in Spanish to a bunch of central bankers from other countries, teach them things, which is hilarious because I was 22 years old teaching central bankers about monetary policy. And uh, it was a great job because it allowed me to be in town. Um, About the same time I started work on an MBA, So I was doing a master's of business administration, mainly because it was available to me and I had the time. I was right next door to George Washington University where I could do that. And this was a time in my life where I was working from about 7 a.m. to about 10 p.m. every single day. I don't remember a lot of what was happening that time. And You've heard us talk on the podcast a bit about times to work while it's summer. There was a series we did called Build Wealth Like an Ant, and I think about this time in my life a lot when I think I was out there collecting skills and working my tail off. It would have been totally inappropriate to have those roles in the stage of life I'm in today, but back then it was actually a great time to just put my shoulder to the plow and push hard. So... After a little while at the IMF, I got a job at Freddie Mac. That was super interesting timing because it was right before the mortgage crisis. If you watch the movie The Big Short, there is a meeting depicted in that movie where I was actually in the room. Now, I wasn't one of the main characters, but I got to see some of the negotiations and conversations that happened as the global mortgage finance system sort of melted down. Um, And that was that was also really useful i was working for a guy at the time who had done some pretty heavy lifting investment banking work and he really you know i wouldn't say i loved the experience but he really pushed me towards excellence in work and that time working at freddie mac it completely changed my my outlook on what good work was like and the degree of excellence that was required so I've talked about that on the podcast before too, but I think having a job that just kicks your tail for a few years can be extremely valuable for a young person who wants to to work very hard for a time. So while we were living in DC, in the moments that we weren't at work, there was times when Steven and his buddies would swing through town and help us kind of learn to do church there. We bounced around churches. I even went to an Anglican church for a bit. Uh, Again, just kind of looking for the people who were serious about the Lord and found those people with mixed success, but never really felt spiritually rooted. Honestly, I didn't know how to lead my little family of two people at the time. We were just trying to hang on by our fingernails to life as she was doing med school and I was working these long hours jobs. Um, That was an interesting time. The Lord used it, but uh, I wouldn't want to go back to it necessarily. Um, at the end of medical school, we knew that we were most likely going to have to move. So we moved to the way it works is you as a, as a graduated med student rank all the different residency programs that you would like to go to and they rank you and they match you up. So you don't really know where you're going to go. So we I told my wife, I said, we can go anywhere as long as there's mountains to ski on. For some reason, that was my hobby. I'll tell you later, I I was a bit of a serial hobbyist, still am. And I was really excited about skiing. So I circled all the programs that were in in the mountains. And she visited a bunch of them, really loved the the Utah program. I thought, this is a little crazy. Um, I'm not sure we want to go to Utah. But um, we went and we moved to Utah really having no idea what was there. there There's a story where I remember our first weekend when we were visiting Utah to decide like how do we find a house and all that. We'd already we knew we were moving, but we didn't know um, exactly what life was going to look like. We decided to visit a church. So we sit down at this little church and just there was probably 50 seats in the in the building and we're sitting there waiting for church service to start, and a guy walks down the, the aisle and sits in front of me. And I look at him for a second, and I thought, "Holy cow, Andy!" And it was a guy who had discipled me in college. Um, so um, we ended up spending a couple weeks with him and his family because I bought the wrong date for a return flight. So thankfully, I didn't get fired for that. But um, we. We just felt like the Lord's hand was on us as we came to Utah. Um, and I had switched jobs again by this time. So I was working for a financial investment banking kind of outfit that um, it was probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me in the corporate finance world. I did not enjoy that job. I had kind of decided I'm done with everything corporate finance. And so we moved to Utah And I took a role at a company called backcountry.com. I was getting paid $8 an hour to answer their telephones. So I am answering the phones. And the great thing about this job is that I started at around 2.30 in the afternoon and worked till 11. So that meant every morning I was on the ski slopes. And that was fun for a few months. But... um, It was not long after we moved to Utah, we had gone camping down south in the desert for a weekend, and there was a windstorm that night in Moab, and we had a pretty slick setup in the back of our Honda Element. So the windstorm, it blew our tent into a thousand pieces. And so because there was wind, we couldn't really have a fire, it was just gnarly. So we ended up in the back of the Honda Element, and lo and behold, we got pregnant. Um, so we thought at the time this was a huge derailing of our plans, but it was obviously the Lord's kindness to us and our knuckleheaded thinking about children. Kyla, my oldest daughter, was born in 2010. And, you know, I thought when, when I found out we were pregnant, I thought, what have I done? I left a high-paying sort of prestigious job in the corporate finance world to answer the phones at a ski retailer. Uh, What a a knucklehead. Um, But this company kind of found out my background a bit and I had done some mergers and acquisitions work and I had done a lot of corporate finance and they said, hey, we're about to go out and start acquiring other businesses. We would like you to help us with that process. So I said, sure, sounds great. I moved from the call center to the corporate offices, helped them start purchasing companies, Um, and it was great, and eventually the the CEO of the company said, hey, you're doing a great job here. Have you ever thought about working on the technology side? Because they were an e-commerce shop, and so there was a lot of software engineers and software development, and I said, I have no interest in technology or software or any of that. but the the bosses all kind of said, we think you'd be good at this, give it a try. I did that and it led to um, me working at startups for a while, which was what I really figured I would be doing for the rest of my career. So I was working at startups and um, it was life life was pretty good in Utah. Um, while we're doing this, we had gotten involved in a church plant in Utah where I would eventually end up on the elder team. Um, before having to step down when the whole thing came crashing apart. Um, If you want to hear that whole story, you can listen to our series on eldership. But none of that really broke what had become a pretty deep commitment to seeing the local church in Utah built up. You know, as I talk about our story I I had really thought previously, well, house church is the way to do it. And I still think home church meeting is a great option. Uh, But when you come to a place like Utah, where almost nobody knows Jesus, um, you start saying, I will take community wherever it exists. So we just looked around and said, where can we link arms with people who are committed to seeing the kingdom move forward? And that's kind of how we ended up in a local church. And now today, we're, we're pretty plugged into another local church. Also hanging out with the Reformed folks again. Uh, so I don't know, there's a pattern there. Uh, but uh, I really do think the the local church institution is pretty important in Salt Lake in, in a way that might not be uh, exactly the same in a place like Texas. So anyways, I'm just kind of puttering along, doing my, my day job, running tech startups and helping manage those. And I had kind of this itch that I wanted to share um, a little bit about what the, the Bible has to say about money with people. Um, I offhandedly had mentioned to, to Stephen that we needed to provide something better than Dave Ramsey for people who want to know what the Bible has to say about money And so he was okay with it. He said, that sounds like a good idea. We know at least three or four guys who might read that. And so we did the only thing we knew how to do, and we decided to write a blog. And that grew uh, faster than either of us expected until people started emailing in and even coming to visit Salt Lake City to ask questions of me or of Steven around their personal financial situations. And it became pretty clear that the demand for content and one-on-one advice was way bigger than the 10 dudes we had initially assumed were our audience. So what the question became, what are we supposed to do now? I had a really bad impression of financial advice. Uh, You know, I thought of financial advisors as salespeople who ripped you off and just took a piece of your pie for the rest of your life. Um, and so I talked to some people who had either done financial planning or were connected to people that we knew from college who had done this. And I realized there were some new models that felt very aligned with how I thought advice should be sold. And it, that is kind of the genesis of, of what I do now, which is to be a financial advisor uh, full time. And that's about the same time when we started Outpost Advisors, our financial advising firm, that we started reading our blog posts uh, from Abraham's Wallet, and that was the genesis of, of this podcast. So to this day, <laughs> the only bad review about uh, that's on Apple Podcasts is about those early episodes, and it was particularly about me and how would Mark please just stop reading the blog posts? It's so boring. So I I don't know. I thought maybe that guy would remove his negative post, but he never did. Um, But we figured out how to use podcasting, and now it's become probably the biggest part of Abe's Wallet, which, by the way, I think will always be free, and it's a massive passion of mine to provide good advice that doesn't sound like every single either Money Magazine article or Dave Ramsey article and also connects with our tribe of multi-generationally money-minded folks. Um, You know, that was just an eye-opener to me when I started connecting the dots between what does it look like to run a family and run a household as well as manage financial assets and grow wealth even. Um, And how could that be done to the glory of the kingdom in a way that didn't look like a row of flat screen TVs and PlayStations, like nothing against flat screen TVs or PlayStations. But I just felt like there's got to be a a use for money that's a little bit bigger than what I had seen before. Um, And so that's why I'm really passionate about both the one-on-one work I do with families through Outpost and the, the content that we produce at Abraham's wallet. Um, you know, while all that career stuff was happening, there was really important parts of my family story that were unfolding. We finally realized that kids were actually a huge blessing. So we had two more children. Uh, we moved several times in that, in that time period. And I realized that in addition to being a great surgeon, my wife is also extremely good at fixing up rickety homes and flipping them for lots of dough. Um, and because of my experience with Christian education, personally, I'm also pretty passionate about developing options for families in Utah. So I'm on the board of our local private Christian school, which by the way, is the only private Christian school in the state of Utah. So I hope that's not true in 10 years, but it is today. Um, and that's kind of what my life is all about now. Um, and you know, there I can share with you some fun facts that probably don't really matter. I said it before, but I'm a, a serial hobbyist. So in the past 15 years, those hobbies have included motorcycle racing, fly fishing, poker, cycling, ultra marathons, long range shooting, skiing, powerlifting, rock climbing, um, all sorts of things. I'm sure I missed a bunch, but. The secret to happiness, I think, when you live in a place like Utah, where somebody is world-class at just about every, at least outdoor pursuit that you can imagine, is just being really mediocre at everything. That way you can tag along when your buddy says, hey, you want to go fly fishing? Yeah, I'll go wave the thing at the at the water with you and hang out for a few hours. Um, sure, you know, um, just being passable uh, at everything has really been the secret to enjoying a place like Salt Lake. Um so you've heard me talk about it before, but Abraham's wallet for me is just an extension of my own personal family vision to nurture well-ordered households um, built for endurance and abundance. That's what we say. Uh, that's what is on the sign above our, our dining table. Um, so uh, we like to, to encourage Families to order their households well and prepare them for both seasons of abundance and seasons of difficulty. That's the endurance and abundance piece. And I hope that when you listen to the podcast, you get some of that. Um, And I hope that by hearing my story, you got a little bit more insight into why I'm interested in doing this. And maybe I even convinced you that I have a genuine heart for you and your family and i am just delighted when i see that anyone has listened to our podcast much less that the listenership has grown the way it has so i'm thankful to you guys i pray for you guys regularly and that is my story